The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. The stroke rates vary tremendously across the four most important cohorts of individuals of atrial fibrillation that have been published in the literature. They will suggest that perhaps if you are more as a Danish registry patient, you might benefit more if you start at zero. But basically at a score of two, everybody's actually having a benefit. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. The article of interest today is titled, Effective Variation in Published Stroke Rates on the Net Clinical Benefit of Anticoagulation for Atrial Fibrillation. It appears in the October 16th issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine 2018. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Gustavo Hudebert, Professor of Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Tavo went to medical school in Peru at Cayetano Heredia, did his residency at Henry Ford Hospital and General Internal Medicine Fellowship at the Medical College of Wisconsin. He joined the faculty at UAB in 1995 and over the years has won numerous teaching awards, has been the program director for internal medicine for 11 years, the Dean for Graduate Medical Education for a number of years, and is currently the Regional Dean of the Montgomery Campus. He's the current ACP Governor for the Alabama Chapter. I believe you'll really enjoy the discussion. Tavo, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. I found this article extremely interesting because it sort of shook my understanding of how we should make decisions about anticoagulation patients with atrial fibrillation. You could probably help us by outlining why this study was done and essentially what's the impetus for even considering reevaluating the risks and benefits of anticoagulation. So the reason this article is so important is because it provides a framework to understand how the application of the risk of strokes actually can change the management of individual patients. So to be more specific, one of the authors of the paper figured out in a publication from a year ago that the stroke rates vary tremendously across the four most important cohorts of individuals of atrial fibrillation that have been published in the literature. And what they were wondering is what if they applied this different risk of stroke rates using a mathematical model could affect the net clinical benefit, meaning the difference between the reduction in strokes based on anticoagulation therapy compared to the risk of bleeding on these different cohorts. And the results are quite surprising because it really gives a very large range of possible outcomes thankfully all beneficial depending on the cohort of individuals in which you apply this data. So that's really helpful. Maybe we could start by going over what those four cohorts are and why they give such different results. So the four cohorts are the cohort one is called ATRIA, A-T-R-I-A, that's an acronym. The next one is SPORTIF, S-P-O-R-T-I-F, which is basically a randomized controlled trial. And then we have a Swedish cohort and a Danish cohort. 
There are differences between the four cohorts. As I mentioned before, the sportive is a randomized control trial with follow-up. The other three are actually true cohorts of patients, but how the data was collected, how the diagnoses were made, and what the follow-up was differ for all the cohorts. So, for example, Atria, which is the U.S. cohort, is an outpatient-based cohort, community-based, which perhaps has a lot of strengths in terms of the population being followed. The Danish cohort and the Swedish cohort are both inpatient-based, so there are important differences between those two cohorts in terms of the patients being utilized to come up with a risk based on the CHASPAN scores. And finally, the other difference is the way the diagnosis were established on the Danish cohort. They were established using the ICD-10 codes compared to the Atria and Swedish cohort that use ICD-9 codes. Okay, so when I get a patient on the wards or in the clinic and they have atrial fibrillation, we now use CHADS-VASC-2 to try to decide whether or not we're going to give them anticoagulation or not. So it sounds like what you're telling me is that the CHADS-VASC-2 gives different numbers in different cohorts. That is actually precisely what the authors of this study were looking at. When they apply to the different cohorts of patients the CHADS-VASC score, they found that the benefit, the net clinical benefit, varied almost fourfold between the Atria data set and the Danish data set implying that for a patient on the Danish cohort, even a CHASVAS score of zero will provide clinical benefit, unlike patients in the Atria cohort, which you have to have at least a score of two to derive net clinical benefit, which is in reality a very important consideration as you try to individualize a therapy for individuals with atrial fibrillation. And for those people who are interested, if you go to the article in Table 1, It shows you the annual rate of ischemic stroke in patients not receiving anticoagulation in these four cohorts. And it's really dramatically different. Just as an example, if you have a CHADVASC score of 5, it can range from a 4% chance yearly in the Atria data set to 15% in the Danish data set. Do we have any idea why there's such a variation? I think that the authors would suggest that when you have registries that are based on inpatient data and they use ICD-10 codes, there might be better capture of outcomes. So in that sense, the Danish cohort might be a little bit higher accuracy in terms of determining how many people got strokes based on the CHADVAS score. The trade-off is, of course, that, as I mentioned before, the Danish data set is an inpatient data set, and Atria is a community-based data set, so there are going to be inherent differences in the patient population. But having said that, it might be that there is just a methodological difference between the two cohorts in terms of the population being studied, but also, more importantly, how was the data accrued in terms of coming up with the outcome of interest. So, as you implied, there are two parts to this. One is, what's your risk of having an embolic stroke? The other is, if we're going to treat you, what's the risk of having a significant bleeding event? Do they have any data on variability of that, or do they just assume everybody had the same risk of bleeding based upon the Hasblad score? In this mathematical model, the only parameter or variable that was varied was the stroke rate based on these four cohorts uh, when you apply the CHADVAS2 score. 
In other words, they use Hasbled in a uniform way across all cohorts. So the risk of bleeding did not change in any of these four cohorts, nor the efficacy of oral anticoagulants. So both of those parameters, which are very important in clinical practice, were assumed to be constant across all the four cohorts. So the only variable that was looked at here was the stroke rates based on CHAT-BASC scores. Did they have any difference between warfarin and the novel or newer oral anticoagulants? What they did, Bob, was they basically say if you take your warfarin as prescribed and you, know, you follow, let's say, an anticoagulation clinic, the efficacy is going to be the same as the NOAX. However, what they did in this mathematical model was to decrease by approximately 50% the risk of intracerebral hemorrhage favoring the NOACs. But to be quite honest with you, the main result, which is the great variability of benefit based on CHAT-VAS scores, depending on which cohort you believe in, did not change significantly if you use warfarin or you use a NOAC, other than the next clinical benefit tends to increase when you decrease the ICH, the intracerebral hemorrhage, but that happened to be an improvement across all cohorts. Of the four cohorts, only two of the cohorts actually had a change on the threshold upon which you should consider using anticoagulation, but the difference remained dramatic between the atria and the Danish registries. So this modeling is pretty complex. Can you sort of give us a digest review of the idea behind the mathematical model for trying to figure out the risk of the anticoagulation versus the risk of non-anticoagulation? So what this model allows us to do is what would probably be impractical to do in the real world, which will be to follow patients and assign them different chat VASC scores based on their profile. So they basically create this number of patient cohorts that are followed over time. And the model basically tells what are the chances that they will have a stroke if they had a stroke what will be the consequences of having the stroke and what will be the outcome of the stroke on their life. They do exactly the same thing for all the other important outcomes we like to think about as clinicians, like if the patient had an intracerebral hemorrhage, what would happen to that patient in terms of disability and both morbidity and mortality, the kind of the type of intracerebral hemorrhage. And they had a lot of data that has been accumulated over the years, and they basically are able to put on this model all these clinical situations and then allow the model to move over time. And in that matter, try to calculate on average what would be the benefit of different patients at different risk of strokes and bleedings, what would happen to a population of patients when it's followed over time to come up with a sense of the differences of the clinical benefit accrue over time by using this computer-based model that just allows you to combine all the important factors that we grapple with as clinicians when we want to start anticoagulation. So let me just give you two examples and see if I have the right idea here. So let's say a 50-year-old comes in with atrial fibrillation, and it's just atrial fibrillation, doesn't have any complicating factors, has a very low CHAD-VASC score. You would run a 50-year-old through this model, and that would return the probability that she is going to have an ischemic stroke over the next period of time versus the probability that if you anticoagulate her, she would have a stroke. And if you anticoagulate her, what would be the probability that she would have a significant bleed? And those numbers would be very different than if a 70-year-old man came in with the same idea but also had coronary artery disease and diabetes. 
What you say is absolutely correct, but the model does more than that. So it will allow you to get a sense of what is the difference of the net clinical benefit between a 50-year-old and a 70-year-old. But perhaps the most powerful message of this model is, is this 50-year-old is run through the characteristics of the atria cohort, you will have a very different result than if you run the same 50-year-old female in the Danish registry. And that's what I think is very intriguing about the model. It speaks loudly about the need of improving the precision of the stroke rates so we can more comfortably tell our patients, male, female, 50 or 70, what is going to be the net clinical benefit. So yes, you're right. The model allows you to give sort of a ballpark idea, but there's a range of possibilities based on which cohort you assign your 50 or 70-year-old patient into. This is very interesting. I know you've listened to the wonderful podcast that I did with Rod Hayward on cardiovascular risk prediction and how important it is to get the right number and how it may differ over time and may differ in different cohorts. And it's really the same idea here. I think it's something that we struggle with both in the outpatient and inpatient setting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the atrial fibrillation, we have less refined information that we have in cardiovascular outcomes. We've gone from Framingham to a much more complex set of equations, but I think that message from Rod Hayward on the prior podcast, these are mutable parameters. The care improves over time, and that changes the way we assign weight to diabetes and smoking and hypertension. And I think that the same issue might be operational on atrial fibrillation to the extent that the use of statins and better blood pressure control might have some explanatory value on the presence or not of strokes down the road. So for me, it's perhaps even more of its infancy compared to the example of trying to estimate cardiovascular outcomes on patients and decide to use of statins on them. So let's say I'm an outpatient doc and a patient comes in with atrial fibrillation. Right now, making decisions based upon my guess of the risk of bleeding, and if they have a Chad Vasco 2, I'm just anticoagulating them. Is there anything in this article that changes what I'm going to do if I'm an outpatient doctor or that changes anything to do if I'm a hospitalist? I would say no, because the last thing I think the article wants to send is the message to be paralyzed in the outpatient when you are taking care of a patient with new-onset atrial fibrillation. I think that the most powerful message of the article is that there is a range of possible outcomes. If you look at the table that looks at the outcomes in figure one, what it would suggest to you that a chat score of two, everybody benefits. They will suggest that perhaps if you are more as a Danish registry patient, you might benefit more if you start at zero. But basically, at a score of two, everybody's actually having a benefit. I think that we just need to be honest with ourselves and our patients to say that we cannot guarantee outcomes. We just say there is a range of outcomes, and when you have a score of two, you might start to get benefit compared to the risk of bleeding. And it just begs another question about the need to increase our precision of calculating the net clinical benefit moving forward. So the next time, a few years from now, that we face the same or comparable patient, we can be a little bit more precise in telling them what they're going to get out of being placed on a drug that has potentially devastating side effects. Let me read the last two sentences of the article and let you respond to that as sort of our finale. Our findings also indicate that the current guidelines based on CHADVASC may need to be revised in favor of more accurate individualized assessments of risk for both ischemic stroke and major bleeding. 
Until such time, guidelines should better reflect the uncertainty of the current approach in which a patient's CHADVASC score is used as the primary basis for recommending oral anticoagulation. I mean, I have to completely agree with that statement, but I don't want to suggest that we cannot make decisions because, once again, that would be the wrong interpretation of this paper. I'm going to go a little bit of what I probably the paper is saying here, but you might want to consider a CHADVAS score of zero as a different threshold than the current recommendations based on what you will find on the Danish registry. Having said that, the cohort that most resembles the patient population in the United States is Atria, and although has the shortcomings of being an outpatient data set with perhaps less precision on stroke outcomes, that might be the one that best applies to the population that are more likely to be facing in the United States. But the hope is that they will get more sophisticated data set that will include a better capture of diagnosis to see if the reality is somewhere between the Danish registry and Atria. But I will say that the guidelines are doing the right thing, choosing two based on the Atria cohort. This paper just raises the question of perhaps people with lower CHADVAS scores might also be benefiting from therapy. But in the absence of randomized controlled data, I think that you might make the argument for some patients below a score of two, but certainly the score of two seems to have enough data across all cohorts. So I think that the score of two remains a reasonable first step with the concern that we might have to change that as we refine our risk prediction of strokes and actually bleeding. So I'm going to try to put words in your mouth. What I think I heard you say was the decision is still simple when the chat bask is two or greater. Absolutely. We'd love to have more precise data to better figure out some patients who have a score less than two might actually benefit from anticoagulation. So that you can flip that and say you don't have to go to much higher scores to make a decision. Certainly two seems to be a reasonable good starting point with a caveat that perhaps we might have to lower that score to one or even zero if we get more precise estimates of stroke risk. Because I think that the parameter that we probably are most comfortable is there's going to be a two-third reduction in risk. And I think meta-analysis and other ways to summarize the data is very consistent with that number. I think that the larger issue is going to be the stroke rate based on CHADVAS scores. And as you mentioned earlier, the fact that we might have to look also more carefully at the bleeding complications, although at this point that seems to be a little bit less of an issue. Tavo, thank you so much for helping us go through this article. I think it's really worthwhile for all of us to understand the variability of these models. I think you've made very clear that we don't have to change a great deal in 2019 in terms of taking care of our patients who have CHADVASC of two or greater, and we'll just have to continue following the literature to see whether or not we need to be more aggressive in some people with lower scores. I think that will be a very reasonable conclusion. I think I look forward to see more refined clinical prediction rules in terms of the risk of strokes and be ready to lower my threshold to start anticoagulation based on new data. Well, thanks again, and I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to this conversation. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This is a very interesting discussion of an article based upon differences found amongst different cohorts for the risk of stroke in patients who did not receive anticoagulation. It has the strength of trying to match the benefits and risks of anticoagulation in theoretical cohorts of patients for whom we have data. 
it's clear that depending upon the cohort we use to estimate the risk of stroke, that our recommendations might change. The article does not look at variations in the risk of bleeding, and both Tavo and I believed that this might be an interesting thing to add to our decision-making. To assume that the bleeding risks are the same in these cohorts while the stroke risks in untreated patients with atrial fibrillation are not the same is something that needs to be examined more closely. In 2019, I will still continue to anticoagulate patients with CHADVASC scores of 2 or greater, but will be interested in whether in the future we might anticoagulate more people with CHADVASC scores of 1 or even 0, as is pointed out in the discussion of this article. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for listening. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.